Hi, welcome to Navigating the Spectrum with Michelle Portlock. I'm your host, Michelle Portlock, and I'm so happy to have you with me today. Today, I'm talking with Laura Smith, and Laura has her master's in speech language pathology and is a 2014 graduate of a Praxia Kids Boot Camp. She's also completed the Prompt Level 1 training and the Kaufman Speech to Language Protocol. She is the author of Overcoming Apraxia and has lectured throughout the United States on childhood apraxia of speech. She currently is a practicing SLP specializing apraxia in apraxia at her clinic, A Mile High Speech Therapy in Aurora, Colorado. So Laura, thank you so much for being with me. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you with me. I follow you on Instagram and I was telling Laura before we jumped on here that I didn't really know what apraxia was or much about apraxia at all until I started following her on her Instagram page. And so I've started learning about it and I thought, I really want to share, have her share her knowledge with listeners because you might connect with it yourself. And I think that's important. So Laura, thank you for what you've created and what you keep doing. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate it. I'm glad that you found me somehow on Instagram. And I think that, you know, you're certainly not alone, not knowing or hearing about apraxia. And in fact, um, speech language pathologists, this is why I'm so passionate about it as well. Many speech language pathologists, including myself, really aren't trained properly how to treat it in graduate school. So unless Mm -hmm. uh, SLP has really, you know, gotten out of grad school and obtained advanced degrees and certifications in specifically apraxia, they probably, you know, aren't um, as familiar, unfortunately, with it either. They would have heard of it, but not, Mm -hmm. you know, necessarily familiar enough to be able to treat it. Well, that's really interesting. And I think maybe I would start off by saying, by asking what is apraxia? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so apraxia um, officially in pediatrics is called childhood apraxia of speech and um, it's CAS for short. And essentially um, it is a neurological speech disorder that manifests itself as a difficulty planning and programming the movements needed for speech. So mm-hmm. a lot of times a speech delay or a speech disorder is just kind of del- just that, right? Like delayed speech or children have speech, but they just have errors in how they're producing it. And mm-hmm. we correct the execution of the sounds or the errors. But in apraxia of speech, it really all starts in the brain. And it's like this disconnect between the brain and the mouth. So we really are working to help them plan and program these movements needed um, for intelligible speech. Wow. So I can actually see why that would be extremely difficult to diagnose. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because you may just, I mean, how do you know that it's not just a speech delay? How, How do you find that out so that you can help these children? Yeah. So that is, um, an important question. And, um, the diagnosis is really made by an SLP again, who is qualified with their, Mm -hmm. you know, after graduate school Mm -hmm. with training and expertise in apraxia and essentially, um, we do have like a, in, in, in some sense, a protocol of how to diagnose and, Mm -hmm. Um, we're looking for a set of characteristics, but what it does require, and a lot of parents need to know this too, this is important, um, particularly when we have children on the spectrum, is that we have to have precursors to be able for them to participate in what we call a dynamic 
motor speech exam to begin with. So we have to, the child has to have good joint attention. They have to maintain attention and they have to be able um, to at least try and imitate a variety of sounds, syllables and words um, in order for us to build a body of evidence um, to show that there are characteristics of apraxia um, during our motor speech exam. So that those are the most important things before you can actually participate in a diagnose, you know, a, a exam for apraxia, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. So, so Laura, what would lead a specialist to test a child for CAS? Okay. Yeah, that's a great question. Usually what happens is children who end up in my office typically have parents who have been, you know, Googling and doing all this research. And um, there are certain early signs of apraxia. And I will tell you that we aren't even really taught this, or at least I wasn't at the time in graduate school. <laughs> sure. So many speech language pathologists don't even know to look for these signs. And it's hmm. important because we do have them. And so it's important that people know. So essentially some early indicators of childhood apraxia of speech, um, in infancy, we might have children who um, do not babble very much. So at six months, we would expect a child to have what we call reduplicated or canonical canonical babbling, which is like, ma, 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 you know, they're kind of mm. repeating one consonant over and over. Mm -hmm. And that developmentally happens around six months. And then by nine months, they start to what we call variate or variegate that babbling. And so they add in more consonants or more vowels, and it might, you know, kind of look more jargony. So ma, da, ga, da, ba, di, di, or something like that, where they're mm -hmm. still babbling, it doesn't make sense, but they're playing with those sounds and, um, you know, just that playing with those sounds. So children with apraxia, um, frequently it's reported that they did not babble. And if they did babble, their babbling was mostly vowels and it lacked a lot of consonants. So um, there was just research we got in 2019. It was a retrospective study from some researchers who had looked at children who were now older diagnosed with apraxia. And then they um, did video they looked at some videos when they were younger and they um, came up with kind of this set of consistent criteria and it was a small sample. So we still have more to go, but at least mm -hmm. in this small sample, you know, lack of a consonant or just one consonant by one year of age was kind of, you know, an early characteristic or sign that it could be apraxia. And then by 15 months of age, a lack of three consonants by then. Mm -hmm. And so if we're not really seeing those, these are some early signs. Other signs frequently reported in the case histories are what we call pop-out words. Um, since it was Halloween, a lot of us joke, that, uh, Jenny Biorum is an apraxia expert that likes to call them ghost words, but essentially <laughs> what these are, are the child might say a word once or for a very brief time, and then they are unable to say it again when prompted mm -hmm. and you don't hear it anymore. So it's different really than regression. You know, we do see in case histories of children with autism where language Language just seem to kind of stop altogether. This is different. The child will still be, you know, having their one or few words or babbling or whatever stage, cooing, whatever they're doing, mm -hmm. but they will have these pop-out words that we hear once or a few times and then not hear again. So 
that's frequently reported. Another common thing that's reported is a go-to sound. So kids, you know, for example, my daughter, I don't know if we mentioned that, um, is 12 now, but she has childhood apraxia of speech. And when she was younger, um, she definitely had a go-to sound. And so it was a da. So a da really meant anything that she didn't have a word for. So it was to request, it was to comment, it was to, you know, ask anything like that. It was like a da. A da da, a da, a da. So, um, parents <laughs> frequently cute. report. Yeah, parents <laughs> frequently report that. So that is kind of another sign that it may might that the speech delay might have more to do with motor planning mm-hmm. than it does with just a speech delay. So those are kind of some early signs. So CAS is a lifelong neurological disorder. However, you can have a speech motor delay, but that has only been posited by one researcher, like in 2019, he's a very respected researcher and it probably will become another category, but Mm -hmm. speech motor delay has not made it clinically yet to the clinical circles. It's only been in research circles. So in that sense, a speech motor delay does look like a motor delay, but really Mm -hmm. if it's apraxia, it is lifelong neurological. Oh, okay. Thank you for that clarification. I was trying to put my finger on the the big difference between the two. Yeah. So you wrote a book called Overcoming Apraxia. And I am wondering what motivated you to write this book? (laughs) (laughs) So back when my daughter was diagnosed, it was kind of a really dark time because I, you know, I am a speech language pathologist and I did recognize that apraxia is a lifelong neurological disorder. And even if she could become a very intelligible speaker as an adult, it would likely take so much work and it would be such a long and hard journey for her. And that broke my heart. So Mm -hmm. it really was, you know, is ignorance bliss in some, in some, in some sense, because Mm -hmm. I knew how hard it was going to be. It was pretty dark for me. I was very sad and I grieved a lot. And, and the other thing that compacted my grief or compounded my grief rather was I was a speech language pathologist and it felt like I couldn't even help the most important kid in my universe. So I go to work every day and help people speak and I come home and the most important kid that's in my world can't speak and I'm her mom and I'm supposed to be a speech therapist. So mm-hmm. um, that really like made it so much harder. But after I got over that, that was hard. Um, but after I got over that, I really was like, okay, you know, like I don't believe in coincidences. I believe they're synchronicities and I believe that it happened for a reason. And so I started a blog, just this basic blogger blog. And <laughs> I just wrote about my experiences being a speech therapist, having a kid with apraxia and it kind of grew from there. So then I got a Facebook and then people started reading my blog more and more and were interested in it more and more kind of, you know, just as it grew and grew, I would get a lot of comments that were like, you should write a book. You should write a book. And my answer was always the same. I was like, why do you need me to write a book? It's all free right here on my website. (laughs) You can read it all. It's all there. Um, But I think there is something nice about having it in a nice, neat little package that you can read from beginning to end in sequential order that makes sense, you know, as opposed (laughs) to reading a blog that's kind of here, there and everywhere. So Mm -hmm. that was the main thing that kind of put I don't know, that kind of inspired me. Um, But then as I thought more and more, like I had bigger goals for it. I thought, okay, well, not only can parents relate um, to my story, which is always helpful to find other people going through what you are going through and relate to it. So, you know, I knew there would be that, but 
then I started thinking like, you know, what if this book, uh, there's a lot of how-to books for SLPs. There's at least two that I would recommend. And I was like, so we don't really need a how-to book. We've got great SLPs who have written those. Mm -hmm. But what we don't have really is, you know, um, resources. Where do you go? So where can parents go? Where can professionals go? And I can give you, you know, research-backed resources and research-based information throughout my book, sprinkled throughout it while I tell the basic memoir of my daughter's journey overcoming it essentially. So then that was another goal, which I thought would be amazing because we could have that as a resource for parents and professionals. And then my final goal was the problem I see right now. You had asked me this before we ever came on. SLPs have something behind their name called CCC, and it's our clinical certificate of competence. All of us have it like most likely. And if they don't, there are some who don't that work in the schools and stuff that don't renew it. But most of us have to renew it. And, you know, we are um, held accountable by this governing body called ASHA. And that's who maintains our C's. They're called C's for us. Mm -hmm. And once we get out, I feel like SLPs have this mindset like, yep, I have my C's. I am qualified to treat every single speech language disorder from birth to geriatrics, from speech, language, voice, swallowing, and everything in between. And it's just <laughs> not true. It's like sure. just not possible. It's like not mm -hmm. possible. Yes. And But for some reason, we think it is. And so I started thinking to myself, so including myself. So, I mean, I treated apraxia, um, you know, in two other kids in elementary school before Ashton was ever here. And mm -hmm. I felt like I did a good job, but you know, <laughs> there's always more to learn, right? There's always, always. More to learn. Yeah. So, um, I just started thinking, you know, we need to get to SLPs before they get their C's. We need them to realize if you come across a child with apraxia, you probably don't know what you need to, to treat this child, even though you have your C's. Mm -hmm. And so I started thinking, well, a book, if it could be assigned, would be a nice way for them to learn right through a personal story. Mm -hmm. um, and I got that idea because when I was in school, I had a great professor for stuttering. And that is exactly what she did. We had to read a memoir type style of someone who had grown up stuttering. So we really understood that first person perspective of what it was like. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so that dream kind of was came to fruition too. So it does get assigned to some college classes and I get to go talk to them and I feel like I can reach these people before they ever get out and become certified SLPs. <laughs> I love that you have that ability to do that and I do think there's power in sharing our stories for that very reason but what I love about what you said about writing your book is not only can we follow along with your own personal experience but you've also added some really valuable resources along right. the That's way. What I wanted. Yes, because I feel like, you know, there are a lot of accounts we can follow online or places we can go to find information, but then we have to take that information and translate it into our own lives. Mm -hmm. And so I think being able to go directly to uh, useful resources and tap into those and be able to implement those into the lives of our loved ones and our children and into the lives of those that we work with, that is extremely valuable. So I, I love that you chose to take that approach. And I'm certain that those that read the book, actually, I know that those that read the book find value in it because I went and read about three dozen reviews. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been fortunate to get some good reviews. You have some great reviews. I was reading all these reviews and there were people saying, it's so wonderful to know I'm not alone. 
yeah. in this experience and that there really wasn't a lot of information out there about mm-hmm. apraxia. And they were grateful that you had taken the time to write this and compile it into, like you said earlier, one space. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also they appreciated the resources that you had allowed them to tap into just by getting their hands on your book. So I think that what you've done is is so valuable for this community. Oh, well, thank you. Absolutely. What can you share with parents what it's been like to raise your own child with apraxia? Sure. A lot of my book is that, like you'll get a lot of it, but just to review um, Mm -hmm. or just give you a brief overview, you know, it's hard. I think that there's so many things that are hard about it. Um, Mm -hmm. The first thing that's hard is it is a serious diagnosis. So Mm -hmm. that is heavy. And I will say um, going through graduate school and being an SLP before I had kids, I did not realize that parents are always thinking long-term. I mean, we're thinking adulthood Yes, we do. Um, where I was not, you know, as an SLP. <laughs> so I was working elementary school. I'm thinking this kid is in third grade. What's he going to be like in fourth grade? That, that mm-hmm. was as far as I foresaw goals, you know, and then we would meet the goals. And I was like, we should all be happy and celebrating. And parents are still worried what is going on. Um, so that was me before kids. Me after kids realizes everything is like, oh my gosh, what does this look like when they want to get a job? What does this look like if they want to go to college? What does this look like if they want to speak to people? Um, everything is kind of seen as like in the future like that. So Mm -hmm. um, I would say that's the one, you know, a a big difference that I want professionals to take away even from my book is to realize that because I did not realize that. And I always joke, I had a mentor when I, you know, was that age, you get assigned mentors when I was younger and Mm -hmm. you're first out of school and she was older. She was like in her fifties. And I do remember her telling me all the time, Laura, just remember going into these IEP meetings. This is someone's perfect baby. And she would tell me this ad nauseum. And it got to the point where I just was like, duh, like I know, you know, like what is she trying to tell me? But this is what she was trying to tell me, you know, yes. is that parents are thinking long term. This is hard. This can be heartbreaking. And even if it is seemingly something just like a speech delay, which seems pretty benign in my world, like we're pretty sure they're going to grow out of it and be fine, mm-hmm. the parents might still be very worried and have anxiety about the future. So yes, yeah. So I would say, you know, that was a big one. Um, and then just that apraxia, another problem that parents face with apraxia is pediatricians don't even know what it is. <laughs> wow. Yes. your pediatricians. So, you know, many parents go in and the pediatrician hasn't even heard of it. And so mm-hmm. that's very disheartening to have your child diagnosed with something a pediatrician doesn't know. So Um, there's always this battle hoping that you're doing the best thing for your child when you have professionals who are supposed to be guiding you who don't really know what to tell you to do. So that is very hard. (laughs) That is actually very hard. And I have experienced that myself just with autism and autism is more known than apraxia. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that was extremely frustrating to me. It is. And it's like, where do you turn? I mean, you're a parent. It's very confusing. Um, You just want to do the best for your child. It's a lot of pressure as you as a parent. And and then when you don't even feel like you have people that, you know, can guide you, it's just so hard. So the other thing is how heartbreaking it is to, um, and I don't know, the parents who are listening to this who have children with autism that can't speak would probably relate to this, but just how heartbreaking it is to not be able to communicate at least through words with your child. And yes, I know that we have all these other ways we communicate with our children, of course, and we have a bond with them and there's nonverbal language and, but just 
wanting so desperately to be able to speak, you know, mm-hmm. to your child is so hard. And that, that yes. was a hard thing about apraxia. That's and... a really challenging, very difficult yeah. thing about apraxia. I yeah. know I joke that my daughter, my youngest is like the singing bush. She never, <laughs> she never stops, but you know, I've had friends and I've talked to many other parents and professionals whose children can't verbally communicate. And so I need to recognize that that's a gift that we often overlook. Yeah. Well, and I will say too, at the time when she really was primarily pre-verbal, I definitely, you know, was always saying, oh my gosh, if she talks, I'll never, ever take it for granted. And she's 12 now and she's definitely made up for last time. And she talks when we're (laughs) trying to brush her teeth and she talks when she's supposed to be eating and she's talking at all the inappropriate (laughs) times. And I do find myself having to be like, you're not talking right now. Um, (laughs) And brush. (laughs) Right? So it's all about perspective but at the time it is very very hard and then just you know watching your child these children usually have to be in therapy at least three to five times a week five times being the most severe three times two to three is probably average but still they're missing out on all of the things other children do that Mm -hmm. can speak like you know they're outside riding scooters and my daughter's inside at an office fighting for her voice. Mm-hmm. So that part as a parent is very hard. So wow. gosh, I mean, I could just go on and on yes. about what it's like. <laughs> well, but- and also we know that, that as the parent, you're just struggling right along with your child. You're feeling yes. it so deeply. Yes. And then you're watching your child work so hard. Yes. They are just showing up. They're working, they're working yes. because you want them to be the best version of who they can be. And so, you know, and you want them to have these capabilities if at all possible. And so you keep working on it to give them more opportunity. That gets really challenging. And sometimes you feel very deflated with that. Like what you were saying a minute ago about, you know, you're watching the other kids play and run and interact with each other and do whatever it is they're doing gymnastics and dance, but you may not have time for that right now. Exactly. Exactly. Or another heartbreaking thing too. I remember she had just kind of broken out and was starting to talk and it was very immature speech, but she Mm -hmm. was just, you know, getting, um, making so much progress to me. And we were at a playground and um, she was actually interacting with the kids, talking to them. And they went down a slide and she looked back. I have this in my book too, but she looked back and she was like, come on, die, let's go, you know? So come on guys, let's go. And it was like, so amazing. And the kids stopped and looked, she was probably four or three or four at the time. And the kids stopped and looked at her and was like, are you a baby? Oh. And it was like, oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, mama bear comes out, right? You're like, okay, uh-huh. I'm not going to be angry at a child. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he doesn't know any oh. better, but it was like, are you kidding me? Like, do you mm-hmm. know how hard she had to work just to get that out? Like <sighs> it, it was not taken for granted at all. There was hours and hours and hours and hours in therapy for someone to be like, are you a baby? Oh. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> Gosh, that is so hard. And yeah. you know, it's hard because we know our child that hurts them. They know exactly. they're doing their best. You're exactly. like, don't hurt them. They're trying exactly. so hard. You don't know. But yeah. like you said, you're like, well, but that other person was a child too. That's just mm-hmm. challenging. Mm-hmm. That is so hard. Yes. Well, I wondered if you could share an experience you've had with the Praxia and your daughter that has uplifted you. 
Right. So let's talk about like some amazing things. So, you know, as for as hard as it is, and it is hard, and I'm very honest about that. Um, mm -hmm. I would say that every time there is some sort of like triumph or some sort of achievement, this celebration and the pride you feel like trumps all of it, essentially, like, mm -hmm. you're just so proud of them and so proud of or every time I just watch her, you know, achieve or do anything just her resiliency, her bravery, her willingness to put herself out there in the face of so many obvious difficulties mm -hmm. um, was another reason that I just don't hold myself back anymore. If I'm feeling nervous or anxious, which of course I feel about many things, I'm always mm -hmm. like, I have no excuse. What is my excuse? I have no excuse. <laughs> so um, she really has made me a better version of myself. And like you said, any human, regardless of a disability or not, we should all, in my opinion, be striving to be the best version of ourselves that we can be. I agree. I love that you said that. And I appreciate the wisdom behind that because it is inspiring to see our children who are working so hard and you celebrate all those small little successes that they have that no one else will see, but we do. Exactly. Exactly. So I love that. I love the celebration. We, yeah. we celebrate pretty, pretty hard over here. <laughs> Right. And I yes. will tell you a big one though. So, I mean, little celebrations I could, you know, spend a whole podcast on, but mm -hmm. the biggest celebration for me probably was, um, Apraxia Kids is a national organization, nonprofit for childhood apraxia of speech specifically. Mm -hmm. And every year they hold a conference, an annual conference that is available for parents and professionals, which makes it unique, but also amazing. Mm -hmm. And you have access to, um, pretty much the top international experts attend this conference. So um, you will find experts from Australia there, certainly all around the United States. Um, but one of my favorite parts of the conference is called a panel like of um, individuals who have childhood apraxia speech. Usually it's a young adult panel. So ranging from like 16 and up, but three years ago or two years ago, uh, Ashlyn was invited to speak and we made a little script for her because she can read now. And even though she read from her script, she got up and probably like she got up in front of like like 300 people wow. sat down at a microphone. Yes, I was sitting with her and she read a little speech in front of all those people having childhood apraxia speech. So that oh. is a culminating like trophy award moment. <laughs> that is a culminating trophy award winning moment. That's incredible. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's yeah. good for her. I, yeah. even, there are so it's many powerful. adults that get that become terrified presenting in front of other yes, people. Yes, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm mm -hmm. saying. Like she has um, definitely made me a better person. <laughs> oh, I love that. I so appreciate everything that you've shared. My question I have, my very last question is, how can you be reached? Because I know those that are listening are thinking, I've got to talk to Laura Smith. <laughs> how do I get to her? <laughs> yeah, I mean, hopefully it's pretty easy. I have my... People sometimes are surprised when I respond back on social media, but it's the literally the only reason I have a professional social media is so that I can help people and just give them information. Another way, I mean, there's no real, mm -hmm. there's no other reason behind it. So it sure. is like with the intent to help you. So I'm on Instagram, Facebook, even TikTok. I got mm -hmm. into it um, during 2020. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you can find me there and DM me. And if it's a longer question, I'll give you my email address to set up something else more formal. But okay. otherwise I'm under the handle SLP mommy of apraxia and I'm readily available on all of those okay that is so great thank you again for being with me I appreciate your time 
I appreciate you having me. Thank you so much. Absolutely. For those of you that are listening, you can also find me at navigating.the.spectrum. Thank you.